I love wine, but sometimes it can get really expensive, which is why I'm so excited that today's episode is brought to you by Last Bottle Wines. If you don't know, they're a Napa-based online wine shop with a twist. They offer just one hand-picked wine per day until it sells out, which is often in hours. So new day, new wine, always at incredible prices. We're talking 30 to 70% off retail. And the best part is that there's no subscriptions, no fees, and no minimum purchase. Just a daily email with a really great wine. They're offering Datable listeners 10% off your first order with code Datable. And now is such a great time to join as their marathon sale is coming up on March 28th and 29th. They flip that one-day rule on its head and offer back-to-back deals, which means that wines are only up on the site for a couple minutes at a time and shipping is 100% free. They send us a mini marathon package of some of their favorites and let me tell you, they were delicious. Sign up at lastbottlewines.com and use the code DATABLE and find out why Last Bottle is the most fun way to discover and buy amazing wine. The Dateable Podcast features real stories from real people of how they make modern dating work, or not. I'm your host, Yue, former dating coach turned dating insider, if you will. On each episode, you'll hear commentary from my producer, Julie Kraftchik, and other surprise co-hosts. This episode is brought to you by Making Ways. Making Ways is a podcast that shares the unexpected paths to creative careers. Just like we hear stories about people's journey to finding love, Making Ways shares people's journey to finding a career they love. You can find the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, and all major podcast apps, or visit makingways.co to learn more. Welcome to another episode of Dateable, a show all about modern dating. Today, we have a special guest named Ariel with us. I'm going to give a quick bio, but I know there's more we need to talk about too. So this is just the opening of who Ariel is all about. So Ariel's a sex and relationship coach and educator, an ordained Hebrew priestess, and a founding member of the Sexual Liberation Collective. In 2009, Ariel founded Gender Blender, that's a great name, by the way, a safe community space for all genders always. And in 2016, founded Gender Illumination, which focuses on education and policy reform as methods of safe space creation for trans and gender nonconforming people. Yes. Yes. <laughs> when not working, you can find him on the dance floor. Ariel, Ariel grew up in New York and now lives in Berkeley, California. So um, before we get to you, Ariel, because that was a mouthful, we also have a special co-host with us. We have Aaron in the house. Aaron's from season four, episode four, in an episode called Levels of DTR. And when we think about DTR, it's usually in the context of monogamous relationships, but Aaron opened our eyes up to defining the relationship in open relationships. What does that mean, right? So like how, when we talk about our relationship being open, how open is it? What are the rules and what are the boundaries? So if you haven't heard that episode yet, go back to season four, episode four for that. Do you want to quick say a quick hi? Yeah, it's great to be back. <laughs> so Ariel, it's all about you today. Tell awesome. us about yourself. <laughs> this in, is great. <laughs> all the articles we've read about you, you're referred to as a him, her, and a they. Yes. Tell us what, what that's all about. So I identify as genderqueer. And I, with intention, use all of the different pronouns. So that involves he, she, they, z, per, 
and any other pronoun that you can think of or be creative with. Can you do like a quick Yeah, The 101. Yeah, the all the different yes. terms. Facebook has something like 100 terms that you can identify. I actually, okay, so Gender Illumination is my organization, and we wrote out an extensive list, which is actually 12 pages long. Oh, great. We, of course, also made a one-pager because I recognize that some people are not willing in today's age to spend Cliff time notes. reading a full 12 pages, but I actually think it is, is that expansive. In terms of definitions... So two of the main definitions that I think everyone should know are when we say cisgender, what we mean is people who are cisgender identify with the gender that they were assigned at birth. How do you spell it? Cis is C-I-S. C-I-S, okay. Mm -hmm. And trans is T-R-A-N-S, transgender. And that basically means that you do not identify with the gender that you were assigned at birth. Right. And so gender is your identity and sex is your biology. When people say you're, you know, you're born and people identify you and they're like, this is a male baby or this is a female baby. What they're actually saying is what your sex is. Mm -hmm. Like they're actually going based on what your genitalia look like or what they think your chromosomes are. Yeah. But that's not actually your gender, right? You could be somebody that has a vagina that does not identify as a woman. It's sort of irrelevant. Like these two things right. are very different things. So we hear gender queer, gender nonconforming, and non-binary. What are the differences? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Great. Okay. So there is so much. First of all, it's really interesting because there's umbrella terms, right? So like the word queer is an umbrella term. And under that, you would have gay, bisexual, lesbian. So trans is an umbrella term for gender identity. And under that umbrella, you actually would have everything you just said. So non-binary, gender fluid, gender queer, all actually fits under that umbrella. Okay. I think there's benefits to having an umbrella term in the sense that people can organize together politically, people can fight for their rights, people can collaborate and work together. Mm -hmm. I also think there are some drawbacks in having an umbrella term because actually everyone has different needs. So somebody that identifies as a trans woman might have very different needs from somebody who identifies as non-binary. Mm. Sure, there's certain things in common, right? Like we all need safety. We all need the ability to maintain our jobs. We all need to end discrimination. We all need to have access to bathrooms. All of that is true, but then I would think there's very different needs because some people are really in need of specific healthcare needs around surgery and hormones, and some people are not. And I think if we're all lumped in as one category, sometimes mm -hmm. our needs can be missed. And also I think politically, some of the struggle is different. And I appreciate being a unit and being able to struggle together. And I also think it's important to acknowledge the differences that exist. So when you say non-binary, the concept of non-binary, right now the way gender is structured in the US is it's been structured as a binary system. So people think of it as you're either a man or you're a woman. and I'm saying in the U.S. it's structured this way because, one, it has not always been structured this way, especially if you go back to before white people came and colonized this land. Gender looked very different. I say this because in my own background and culture, I'm Jewish, and in the Talmud, there's actually six genders identified. Mm -hmm. oh, okay. So I think it's very specific to say gender has not actually always been a binary. So gender queer is also an umbrella term. I particularly like the word queer because, to me, queerness, the word actually, if you look it up in a dictionary, it means other, right? And mm -hmm. I actually really like that word. I know that if you go back, if you talk to my parents, they feel 
very conflicted about that word because in their generation it was a slur and in their generation it was used against people in a very harmful way. Mm -hmm. I was just trying to think about that the other day because I remember yeah. growing up that you would never call anybody queer. No. That's like not the word to do. It's been reclaimed. It's and been now reclaimed. It's like, yeah. yeah, it's great. Yeah. And for my personal journey, I enjoy being playful with gender. I like... I like being expressive. I like shifting my gender. I feel very gender fluid. I appreciate the word gender queer. For me, it's about my self-expression. It's also about my internal identity. I see myself as having multiple layers to my identity. I see myself as a gay man. I see myself as a woman. I see myself as everything in between all that. Very, very queer in my identity <laughs> and in my self-expression. And I think it's important to say that there's lots of people that don't feel that way, right? There's lots of people under the trans umbrella that it is very important that they have just one pronoun. Mm. And it is very important to get mm -hmm. that one pronoun correct. And for me, it's very important to use multiple pronouns and to be playful with that and to experiment and explore with me. So basically, you're never offended. I am never offended. <laughs> right. That is true. Um, I think I would be offended if, if somebody was my mocking me or making mm. fun of me or specifically trying to tear down my community, then of course I would be offended. Or if someone was saying something that's hateful or harmful or oppressive or sexist or homophobic or transphobic or racist, obviously then I'd be offended. But if people are just using a pronoun in the context of seeing me and understanding me, then that's my whole point is to be expressive and to have multiple pronouns. Do you date men and women now? I date people of all genders. Okay. Yeah. So I date trans people, genderqueer people, non-binary people, people who identify as men, people who identify as women. Um, I'm super queer in my identity. The kind of sex I have is really queer on lots of levels. Um, I play with gay men. I play with queer women. I run the whole gamut of what's possible. I've seen it happen. It's beautiful. <laughs> and do you have a preference? Like, we've been at play parties together. So like you've seen, you've seen me in action. It's and, wonderful. Yeah. And do and you have a preference? Because they always say sexual preference. Right. Do you have one that you really prefer? My preference is that I love all people and all bodies and that I genuinely find humans really attractive mm -hmm. and something that I think is amazing about my life that, that um, you've really seen is that I get to show up in spaces and be my identity and people see me in that identity and I've made the choice that I don't for a lot of people hormones and um, sexual reassignment surgery or gender confirmation surgery is really important for them and I fully support people in those journeys and for me that's not the path that I'm choosing to take I really believe that I can live my gender identity without doing those things. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that means that in an average day, people might not see me. But what's been amazing is to have gay male community that does see me as a gay man. So when I'm at, you know, we've been at play parties together. We've been at events together hosted by Comfort and Joy and Glamcocks, which are awesome Burning Man theme camps that Gender Blender, the theme camp that I run at Burning Man, is super connected to. And in those spaces, I feel like people really do see me and they really accept me. And I didn't, you know, they understand who I am and they welcome me into those spaces. And that's been an amazing journey. And just to be clear, you were assigned female at birth? Yes. Okay. Have you guys hooked up? <laughs> we'll save that for another episode. <laughs> Like, what changes with different people? Do, does, does my like, gender do you, like, experience change? If you're, change? like, with a gay man, yes. right? Like, how does that differ than being with, like, a straight man or another woman? My gender is is so fluid that my gender is shifting in the experiences. Uh-huh. So, so when you're with a gay man... I'm a gay man. And if I'm okay. with a female who is a lesbian, then I'm a female. Because my gender does shift that much and my expression shifts that's mu that much and the way I play and the way I move actually is that expansive. 
So I want to bring this back to you. <laughs> You're 37 years old. You're from New York. You've been living here on and off since 2004. So yes. that's a long time. You've seen all the changes that's been oh, happening yes. in San Francisco. <laughs> Rent has dramatically increased. <laughs> <laughs> one of the many changes. But what about you? Yes. Tell us about oh, yeah. your childhood and yeah, how like, did how you, you get here? How yeah, this is so here. exciting. Okay. And why are these issues so important to you? So also, if you had met me in 2004, my own understanding of my identity was very different. And so I'm, I also teach. I'm a teacher right now. I'm working with fourth graders. Last year, I was working with ninth graders. And something that I see that's amazing in my young students is that they have so much more opportunity than I had. The very first day of class, I had this in my head anyway, that we were going to go around and say our names and say our pronouns. And before I even got to, like, get everybody, like, settled into their seats, somebody came up to me. One of the, the students came up to me and said, I really hope we're doing gender pronouns. Wow. Right? And That's I was incredible. like, uh, of course we are. <laughs> and when I was in ninth grade, nobody asked me my pronoun. I didn't know no. that was a thing that you could have the right to express. Yeah, I thought it was assigned. So when I was younger, I nobody was out in my high school. Mm-hmm. There was nobody out as queer. There was nobody out as gay. There was no one out as lesbian. There was definitely no one out as trans. I did not know the word queer. I did not know the word genderqueer. Mm-hmm. It's very hard to exist in an identity if you don't see anybody else that looks like you. It's very hard to exist in an identity if there's no conversation about it or communication about it. So I was having lots of internal thoughts, but there was no place for those thoughts. Mm-hmm. And what were these internal thoughts? I never thought of myself as just a girl. I always had some understanding that there was multiple layers to gender, but there was not, there was not an expression of that. I never saw anybody else doing that. Mm. So what got you like so confused with all of this? Like what got you to where you were? Was it a combination? Um, Multiple things happened. One, I think when you live an identity and you have these experiences, you want to see social change happen because you recognize, like I recognize within my own life, certain disadvantages. And I see certain pain and anguish that my community is in and I want to make a difference for us. And also my religion, being Jewish, really influenced me from a very early age to believe in social justice the whole framework of my religion is really this this concept called tikkun olam, which is basically healing the world and pursuing justice. So from a very early age, I was given a narrative that it's not enough like to just see something bad. You have to actually understand the root of where that thing is coming from and work for change. And mm. so for me, it was a very natural development to start gender blenders and then to start gender illumination and to really make this my life work and passion. Good for you. Thanks. So when did you, did you have a coming out period? Or? I mean, I, I feel like coming out is on multiple layers. Like, <laughs> who's, not, who's not still coming out? And I like the concept of like celebration. So I'm into multiple coming out parties and events. And I actually think you are constantly coming out in the sense that, first of all, the like, like we were saying before, the words have changed a lot. So if you were to meet me, you know, when you were saying like my first round of living in the Bay was 2004. And if you met me then... I didn't know the word genderqueer. So how could I be out as something I didn't know I was, mm-hmm. right? So there is multiple layers even to my in my own identity and my own self-expression that has shifted and changed. And in terms of coming out, there's like layers to it, right? There's like, when did I come out to my mom and dad? When did I come out to my sister? When did mm-hmm. I come out to all my friends? What about people that didn't see me for like 10 years and then found me on Facebook? And then so, what about coming out even me? Right. What are you coming out with? What information are you giving them? I think for me, it was important to tell people that I grew up with about my identity because we didn't see it. And because I was actually really curious to find out like, 
who else had secret identities in high school that we didn't know about or get to talk about because we weren't given the language. Yeah, I think the idea of, of coming out, especially when it comes to gender identity, is really interesting because it has a lot to do with presentation as well. And for, for uh, many trans people, I suspect that um, you may know that they're trans or you may not have any idea that you're right. trans. And so that coming out process could be all the more fraught with difficulty depending on where you are on that journey. And also what your safety is, right? right? Like we have it very blessed, to be honest, here in the Bay. Like yes. We have a yes. very oh my God. different social experience here. There's a lot more safety. I know this because I teach workshops all across the country. And when I do workshops in, you know, places in the middle of the country, it's a very different. I've done workshops in Texas. I've done workshops in Ohio. Yeah. I've, I've done some workshops in New York, Atlanta. And each place has a very different understanding. A lot of times I'll start a workshop and say, raise your hand if you're familiar with the word transgender. And that's, you know, when you're in the Bay Area, everyone has their hand up. When you're in Texas, two people have their hand right. up. Right, yeah. And I think that people have to take into consideration what does it mean for you if you're doing even if you're just being if you're just being gender non-conforming and say you still identify with the gender that you were assigned at birth but you don't conform to traditional gender roles or the stereotype of what your gender should look like there's a lack of safety for you absolutely every time i wear heels i'm acutely aware of it <laughs> not just because of the pain but because of the way i'm presenting but you look so good <laughs> every time you post those photos i'm like damn Aaron, get some good teach legs me. Yeah. <laughs> teach me how to walk in heels and also, just to say, also, what is it, the, the danger that you face in San Francisco is still, I believe, less than, I think oh, there yeah. is still real danger here. Oh, yeah. Like We've had friends that have been Absolutely. assaulted. Um, but I just still think. Just this past weekend, yeah. a good friend oh, of mine yeah. was gay oh, bash. Really? Yeah. yeah, it still happens in, in places like San Francisco. What about um, the one that was murdered? Bubbles. Yeah. Bubbles, yeah. Whom I met at Burning Man mm -hmm. yeah. last year. I mean, that's terrifying to me that it's yeah. in the Bay Area yeah. we're facing this still. Like I, I've actually had two queer friends murdered in San Francisco since I've been here. Wow. And countless more beat up. So it's it's still, and I've, you know, I've experienced my own nothing quite that bad, thank God, but... Other things as well, you know, yeah. it's not, it's not as, we all like to think it's quite safe and it, it is a lot safer than it's other safer. places. yeah. It's a lot safer like, than other places, but you know, there's still always that risk. Yep. Yeah. I want to bring it back to your dating life yes. again, because I'm most yes. interested in that. In your dating life, to find people that you're hanging out with, hooking up with, do you meet them mostly in real life or are you on apps too? No, I'm a real life person. I'm probably one of the few people <laughs> left. I'm not on any apps. I'm not. I've never met someone on the internet. I've never done that. I might be like an anomaly. You've never been on an app ever. Ever. I'm not on a and single app. You, know, you are app. not a gay man until you are a grinder. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know. I hear That's you. the true test. I hear what you're saying. It's more just like I am extremely extroverted. So I actually it's meet true. a ton of people in real life. And so I, I just never, I'm not, you know, I think for a lot of people that apps make a lot of sense. I think I, I could see how it's super helpful. I think for me, I meet people all the time, every day. So if you meet someone in real life um, and they see you and they see woman, cisgender uh -huh. woman, not anything, do you have a conversation with them immediately or how do you broach that subject? Yeah, how do you educate them? I think what's interesting is a lot of people lately have really been seeing my gender identity. I don't think that that's always true. So I think maybe it's about getting older and being more comfortable in who I am mm -hmm. and more comfortable in my self-expression that helps people see me more. 
or maybe people know me more in community, so it just becomes obvious who I am. And also, I'm very direct, so I really believe that great sex is all about great communication. Mm -hmm. And so when I meet people, I'm pretty upfront about who I am, what I'm interested in, what my identity is, and I'm very clear on my boundaries, I'm very clear on what I want, I'm very clear on how I express myself, and I tell people right away, oftentimes, what my pronouns are. So if you thought that I was a cis woman, and now I'm telling you, Mm -hmm. actually, I use multiple pronouns, even if that's new to you, you automatically are like, oh, I need to shift my understanding of this person that I'm talking to. When I see you, I see glitter sexual. You are glitter for, the, for, for, the, for the benefit of the listeners, you are covered you are in glitter. glitter sexual. You have unicorns all over. All of your clothing is sequined out. Add that to the term list. <laughs> glitter, glitter sexual. sexual. And the definition is Ariel. I am 100% owning glitter sexual. That is my new favorite term. I mean, those ugly boots alone. Those I love them. Are yeah. so Where did cool. you get those? I know. <laughs> Glittersexual.com. Duh. Oh, that I should be I, my new website. I, I need to buy the URL right now. Who's going home first and getting that website? <laughs> right now. Um, so what are some the overarching issues that trans people face when it comes to dating? Oh, I think there's multiple issues. One, I actually think when you talk about apps, I have a lot of friends who identify as trans and genderqueer that do use apps that find them to be really problematic in terms of how people treat you and, and disrespect you on those kinds of apps. So same, same, same <laughs> all around. Right, yes, no. yes. trans or genderqueer to experience. Yeah, I think there's all that, but then I also think there's another aspect to it, which is that people will misgender people on the apps or people will make mm. inappropriate comments about people's body okay. types or people will ask really inappropriate questions that you that you shouldn't be asking, right? Like, like what? Actually, you shouldn't ask somebody if they've had a surgery or what their genitals uh, look like. Well, or people on the internet will just like they'll say anything so yeah. I can but imagine this even, but this happens in real life too yeah I mean I've seen this before where people are like you know they'll, a- they'll ask you know even yeah. people you know whatever they'll ask all kinds of questions but wouldn't you rather they ask than to assume in their mind I, I don't think people need to I think this is this is really where it's at is you, ha- you should ask someone what their pronouns are and you can ask someone what their gender identity is but upon meeting you it is really weird like I just walked into your house yeah right? I, I wouldn't it's very weird if I'm like, oh, by the way, do you have a vagina? I'm just so curious. <laughs> right. Well, like, what would I be just, that question? I just need to know, right? You would be like, whoa, that is really invasive. I'm not really sure why you went there. Like, it's kind of strange. here's a of it. <laughs> right. Like, it's just not, we have been socialized yeah. not to do that. So then if you pick one population of people and insist that they answer that question, that's really harmful and dangerous. Mm-hmm. Well, right? I was trying to say, like, I get it happens everywhere but online I feel like people will say things that they wouldn't normally like it's just even easier mm-hmm. to do they it feel so anonymous. I can I can imagine it's just like a lot of abuse so yeah. maybe for the benefit of the listeners um, who are not part of this community what are some questions that you should ask and questions you shouldn't ask if you find yourself in the yes. presence of someone who you're not sure of their gender identity and how, how to phrase those questions how to yeah. phrase those yeah. questions so I would phrase the questions by asking um, I would first just say, hey, this is, my name is Ariel, these are my pronouns, like I use all the pronouns, I'm really curious, you know, what pronouns do you like? I'm also curious, how do you like to call your body parts? Or what, if we're, you know, if you're in a dating experience, or if you're in an experience where you know you're going to have sex, if that's the context, right? Like I wouldn't, this, obviously asking these questions doesn't make sense if you're just meeting someone on the street <laughs> and you're interested right. in their gender. I'm talking about if you're having a negotiation because you know you're going to have sex, then the conversation can look like, 
these the, the way I reference my body and my body parts are this way. The thing the way I like to be touched is this. My boundaries are this. I am a hard no to certain things, and I'm going to tell you what those are. And I'm a big yes to these other things, and I'm going to tell you what those are. And you ask the person the same questions, right? You're mm-hmm. you're asking what are your boundaries? What are you a big no to? How do you reference your body parts? What part of your body am I allowed to touch? What part of your body am I not allowed to touch? Um, how do you want me to call your body? What words do you use for your body? And that's what you then use, right? And that's how you engage. And getting consent every step of the way, right? I also think it's really important to note that um, trans women, um, some trans women like to have their penis played with and some absolutely do not. And so that's part of why mm. that's an important question to ask. Yeah, and I think this is an important question to ask whether you're trans or cisgender. Is, absolutely. What part yeah. of your bodies do you want sure. me to touch and do you not want that, me to touch? Yeah. There's a lot of <laughs> assumptions that happen. Sure. And there's a lot of us assuming that, oh, because we have decided we're having sex that it's going to look or be a certain way. And I actually think sex is really expansive. And the unfortunate part about the way U.S. society and culture has trained us to believe, first of all, most of us are taught, you know, sex education in a terrible way, right? We're taught as if everybody's heterosexual. We're taught that sex is penis and vagina. Right. And you're like, that's just not true. That's actually not what sex is at all, right? So sex is any experience in which two people are consenting to having a physical experience experience that leads to pleasure and potentially orgasms mm-hmm. and not even it's always true. right yeah. but the point is that you're trying to create pleasure with each other and that you right. are consented and that you're engaging in a physical experience but it's not any of our places to tell somebody like what is the definition of sex it's like you need to decide that with the person that you're playing with with the person that might be your partner or lover and so I actually really want people to express more and say more about their needs and say more about their boundaries. And I think we live in a in a society where it's very hard for people to understand consent for some reason, even though it's like the most basic concept, right? Well, it look should at be all really the news easy. articles yeah. right exactly. now. <laughs> it's right. all about consent. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's actually a good segue into this episode we have. In season three, episode 16, an episode called Full Disclosure. And our guest, David, came on the show to tell us a story. He's a straight male, or he identifies as a straight male. He met this beautiful woman at a club, and they were dancing, and it seemed like she was really into him. So they started dating, and he would like cook for her and bring her out on these great dates, and he was so into her. But a month into the relationship, she would always say no to staying over or having him go over to her place. And whenever they became more intimate, she would, you know, say, make up an excuse like I have to meet up with my friends. So at the end of one month mark, I guess you could say, um, they were starting to get intimate at his place and he had cooked for her the whole shebang, you know, and they're progressing a little further than usual. And as he's trying to undress her, she said, there is something I need to tell you. And it turns out that she had a penis. So he didn't know how to handle the situation. The whole episode was actually really eye-opening for us. Kind of like, because he didn't like push her away. He didn't, he was trying to remain civilized, but also at the same time, he's like, why have you been hiding this from me? And she said, you know, every time I've brought this up, I've gotten some sort of negative response and I really like you and I want to keep this going for a while. They, they didn't end up working out, but he even tried every scenario in his head of how this relationship could work out. So what you were speaking about earlier, asking about your pronoun, how should I, how should I call your body parts? I think that's really great in a, in context of something that, you know, it's a safe place, right? Mm -hmm. A gender blender 
community where you know it's okay to ask these questions. But what about in a scenario like what David was in? It's time to take a quick break so we can tell you about the latest service we have been building over at Datable. Datable is teaming up with Hire Club to provide headshots for your dating profiles. You'll get a fully professional experience with makeup, styling, lighting, and more. Visit datablepodcast.com forward slash coaching for more details. But what about in a scenario like what David was in? Yeah, I want to back it up yeah. on the on a couple things you said. So one is that she probably could actually identify as a straight woman. I don't know her sexuality, right? She identified as a straight so, woman. So the right, so she is a straight woman. The the part that he the way he's framing it is that he thought he was dating a cis woman and he's dating a trans woman. Okay, right. that's different than I thought I was dating a straight woman. He is dating a straight woman and she's a woman. And disclosure is a really complicated process, right? Because you have to be thinking about your own safety, both yep. your physical oh, and yeah. your emotional safety. So when people, especially if you're meeting somebody, you know, when you were saying about app dating, I think when you're meeting someone on an app, like say I meet someone through friends, there's at least some vetting, right? Like if mm-hmm. you, if I'm your friend and you introduce me to somebody, there's a little bit more safety there because right. somehow that person has been vetted. Yeah. These For, people or, met at a club, so there was no vetting. Right. Yeah. So yeah. there's a lot less. So her safety could have been in real jeopardy. How does she know? I mean, think about it. Especially trans women of color are at the most jeopardy in our society. Mm -hmm. They're literally being Mm -hmm. killed. They're Mm -hmm. literally being maimed. Mm -hmm. And so why should she disclose to him? Mm -hmm. Like, how does she know that she's going to be safe? How does she know that he's not going to turn on her and kill her? Because that's actually happened in our society, right? And she's had friends of her, and I think that was... What makes her think that she's going to be safe, especially if you're saying they're, you know, it sounds like one month is actually not a lot of time to get to know somebody. And if you're going on dates and you're not... um, and you actually haven't, like, I don't know how much time they had actually spent together, right? It sounds like, great, you've been cooking food and spending some time together, but how do I know that you're safe to disclose my, my you know, how do I know? I don't know. So I actually mm. really see her perspective. She's saying, I finally felt safe a month in to tell you this information. Actually, his response should be, wow, thank you so much for feeling safe with me. I'm curious like how best can I engage with your body what do you want what do you like do you like your like do you call it a penis do you call it a clit do you want me to touch it do you not want me to touch it and I think people need to get past this concept that your body is your gender right like Mm. I think people and especially what I've seen from cis straight men is there's a lot of like freaking out about their own sexuality their own gender and part Mm -hmm. of that is about power and privilege and part of that is the way our society has structured male identity. And I actually think for himself, he should have just been like, wow, thank you so much for sharing this with me. How best can I support you? I think part of it, though, was when it happened. Because it was like in a sexual time, like, is there a better time to have that conversation? Right. Than, like, as you're having sex and, like, revealing this. I think that was part of it. Just, it was unexpected. Timing. I think... Sometimes it's easier to, like, say this stuff in retrospect, thinking it through. But if you're in the moment, it's, like, not what you're expecting. Like, sometimes your brain doesn't register that fast. And I think this is the reality for anyone whose body does not fit what society is saying is mainstream. So that can be that, for whatever reason, your body doesn't look like a mainstream body, what you're seeing as the stereotypical body. If your body doesn't look like that, guess what? Something might come up during sex. It's not just about being trans, right? 
I, I don't, I actually think it's really a huge struggle about when do you share certain things about your body. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's like, this is true for cis and trans people because yeah. the reality is actually almost everyone has something that's true for them that they're probably totally. afraid to share because they're worried right. about rejection. They're worried about physical, emotional, mental harm. So I don't, I don't know if you guys have anything. I don't know what the right time is, I guess. <laughs> I don't it's either. Like, it's I, tough. I, I mean, I, in an ideal world, he would respond with, oh, what a nice surprise. I didn't know. How can I please you, right? How can I support you? But we're not there yet. I mean, we're just absolutely not there yet. So what what are some steps people can do? Because she even said to him, like, that's probably one of the nicest responses that she's gotten. Like, she's mm. definitely gotten beaten up and, you know, there's been violent behavior. But like Julie was saying, it's easy to say, I can say these words. How can I best support you? But when you're in the moment, you're in shock. What's a better way to deal with that situation? I think it involves education, right? And I think it's also, I was just thinking about the the word disclosure, right? And I was thinking about queer community and how that word also has been used both for trans people in terms of disclosing their trans identity, but also, um, especially in the 80s, when you talk about HIV, there was, that word was also used, right? Yeah. Like people would say, are you disclosing your status or not? And mm-hmm. today I think there's a whole conversation around sexually transmitted infections, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't have that conversation. A lot of people will just imagine that, oh, maybe this person's on prep or, oh, I'm just going to trust you even though I just met you on this app or I just mm-hmm. met you at the club right. and not have a conversation. To me, I actually think it's really important for people to say, okay, so my last STI checkup was this long ago, I, you know, these are my results. But the problem is we have so much shame and, and yeah. body negativity. And there's yeah. so much shame around, you know, all of what I'm saying, right? There's a lot of shame around things being different, a lot of shame around um, STIs. And I think we need a new uh, thought frame and, and we need more education. And we need the education to start when you have actual sex ed in high schools. It needs yeah. to go all the way back to then to say, hey, guess what? There are people who do not look like the magazines and mm-hmm. there are people who identify different from what you might have already been told right like let's go over what cis is and let's go over what trans is and let's talk about safer sex and let's talk about the fact that no one should feel guilt or shame and that mm-hmm. people's bodies are beautiful and how do we how do we shift the mentality i think it's about education and i also mm-hmm. think that that education can happen as adults i'm also part of a platform called o school and that platform has um, sex educators and we do, it's it's a platform where you can actually come and hear us teach and educate and it's, it's for adults so that they can really also learn, right? Because mm-hmm. a lot of times it's like, we didn't get this education in high school. Most of us, my sex right. education was terrible in high school. Yeah, right? it's like those awful outdated videos. I know. <laughs> so they probably bad. still run them now. Like, I would be surprised. I do also think it has to start with children. It starts, it needs to start early. Generation, yeah. It's socialization, right? I mean, they did this whole, like, sociological study where they put a baby in the middle of a room and they told people around it and they assigned different... Um, genders to this baby to different people. Half of the people thought it was a girl, half people thought it was a boy. And they scared the baby and the baby started crying. And they asked all the participants, why did the baby cry? And everybody who thought the baby was female said the baby cried because it was scared. And everybody who thought it was a, a boy baby said, well, he was crying because he was angry. And so then the next question was, what would you do with this baby if this was your own baby? And the people who thought it was a female baby said, I would go and comfort her because she's scared. And the people who thought it was a boy baby said, I would let him cry because he just needs to get his anger out there. Now, imagine this is a real, real 
um, life situation, someone's getting mugged and they're screaming, right? If we per that person is perceived to be a female, we go and rescue her. If they're perceived to be a male, some people may just let him be, say, oh, he can defend himself, he's angry. So I think we need to start thinking about socialization of our kids from the very beginning, you know, yeah. socializing and, and, and each other and each other. And I mean, I think, other. I mean, I think that so many times we have opportunities within, within our friend groups when we say things that are yeah. um, misogynistic about not just about women, but also how it affects men when, when we don't allow men to have emotions, when we do when we don't allow men to act in a quote unquote feminine way. Um, all of that stems from the same sort of thing that you're talking about, the way in which we're raised um, and how we're socialized. I think those conversations we can be having with each other, not just with children. I mean, we should be educating children as well. But mm -hmm. so often I'm I'm when I'm around straight men, which admittedly is not super often, <laughs> um, I'm sort of amazed at the things that come out of their mouths and yeah. the fact that they don't really correct each other. Um, even though independently they would say, oh, you know, I would never say that or I don't really, I'm not a misogynist, I'm a feminist or all this kind of stuff. The things they say around each other, um, you know, can be very destructive and perpetuates these yes. ideas of gender norms that I think can be very destructive and harmful. And this may be a stereotype, but why is it, because Julie and I have seen this, and we're not the right group to answer this, but why is it when straight men get together in a group and they get drunk, they start acting gay? Like... You've, you've seen I want to meet your friends. Wait, no, I'm like, what do you mean? Oh, this happens like, a lot. They like like each other like on the football complex. Oh. You guys like see the like. You, they start, they start like lifting up their shirt. They start grinding up on each other. Oh no, I definitely want to meet your friends. <laughs> you have seen this phenomenon, never, and then they're yeah, and this, then they take pictures like posing together. Yeah, it, we went on a party bus with these straight men who wanted to meet women, and by the end they were like. Exactly. grinding up on each other on a pole dancing ignoring all the women on this <laughs> ignoring bus, all like. the women on the this I bus mean, i have no explanation for you you're like why wasn't i invited and you think i don't have an explanation for what you just said nobody does but i do think that there is a way that when aaron what you were talking about in terms of people not actually calling people out or checking in like I think that we're at this really intense time in society where it's been shown that our president who is not actually our president but our president <laughs> is you know able to make really sexist terrible yeah. remarks and everybody somehow is like oh that's just normalized now like that's okay so of mm -hmm. course it trickles down to because you're just like gaslit all the time yeah so yeah. it trickles and it trickles down to people in society, it's like if you hear someone say something misogynistic, people are like, I don't need to check that because now that's just been declared as the social norm. And mm. a lot of the work that gender illumination is doing, it's illumination, shining light on gender. So the work that we're doing is really trying to address these issues, trying to address these issues on a policy level, on an education level, making sure that we are in all factors of life. So schools, colleges, universities, um, healthcare providers, businesses, places of faith, having these kinds of conversations. And you could check out the work at genderillumination.com mm -hmm. to see more about what we're up to and doing. But it really, it is our way of addressing this, of how do you, how do you shift culture? I really do believe it's yeah. through education. So what are some of our takeaways? Well, I, I think my biggest takeaway is your quote, Ariel. You said gender is bigger than we were told. 
in um, one of the articles we read about you. And that's exactly what it is. It's that we don't have to be in the confines of what we think gender should be. Yeah. And I love what you said about the human body doesn't have to be this one body with all these parts that makes up this gender and then this other gender. We're all so different. So why don't we just see it with a more open mind? It's just the body is the body. And if the body has these parts, that's what this person's body is all about. So I really love what you said about that. I think what we can take away from for a lot of our listeners, because this is probably going to be eye-opening for a lot of people who don't have these open conversations is to open up that conversation. I I feel like sometimes it's hard for me to even open up that conversation because people are like, well, that doesn't apply to me. I don't want to talk about it. But it is education. Why are we having all these sexual harassment cases come Mm -hmm. up? It's because we haven't had the education around it. We haven't put any vocabulary to these work, to these behaviors. People felt uncomfortable, but they didn't know how to label it. So the more we can openly talk about these issues, label these issues and our feelings, I think the more comfortable people will be in talking about it. Yeah, I think for me, I mean, you brought it up and it's not just with gender, but like even like revealing STDs or anything that's difficult. Like we Mm -hmm. do all want to like shy away from it, but it's so important to have those conversations. And I think like the part where we were reflecting back on the episode with David like, I think just being aware of it ahead of time. So, like, if something like that does catch you by surprise, you could have more empathy for other people and mm-hmm. think about other ways you'd address it. So, right. it's education, like you said. Yeah, so. imagine if you grew up in a school where you were told that some boys have penises and some don't. And some mm-hmm. boys have vaginas and some don't. And some yeah. girls have vaginas and some girls have penises and... This way, you would already know that. Yeah. So nothing would be shocking right, about it. It wouldn't exactly. even be like, I need to disclose that this is whatever. Because it would be like, oh, from the time I was a child until now, I've always understood totally. that men can have a vagina or a penis. Mm-hmm. Women can have right. a penis or a vagina. It doesn't, that's not what defines us as a gender. Yeah. And it's totally what you said. It goes back to just fusing sex and gender. I think that was actually a good takeaway, too. It, Seems so obvious, but, like, we do forget it. And, like, I know, like, I've even interchanged the two, and it's hard sometimes. But, like, understanding all these terms and, like, what they all mean is just really important. So what about you guys? Do you have any takeaways from this conversation? Well, I actually have, yeah. So um, I my, my takeaway is always that I have more questions whenever, whenever it comes to the subject. <laughs> yeah. Um, because... <sighs> Uh, one of the things that I wanted to know is, uh, first of all, I think you actually opened my eyes this past summer to a lot of a lot of the conversations we're having tonight. Um, found myself uh, very attracted to some trans men, mm. um, and I am curious how it's for any listeners who may be interested or think that trans is sexy and want to meet trans people but don't know even where to go or how to how to go about doing that. Are there any resources? Are there apps? Are there, what are the, where can you meet these wonderful trans people or gender non-conforming, gender <laughs> yeah, non-binary people, these magical <laughs> unicorns? Asking for a friend. <laughs> asking for a friend. Right. Uh, okay. Slash asking for me, anyone out there. <laughs> now everyone's getting, you should put your number in this. We're passing along, don't oh, worry. I'll actually just yeah. post you up on my Facebook account. No, um, I think, first of all, I feel like there's, there's, in what you said, like what you just said, is kind of really intriguing to me and interesting because I think there's like there's always a fear around the concept of like uh, th- there's like the word like tranny chaser. I don't know if you're familiar with that tranny word. Tranny chaser. Yeah. Wow. So first of all, I mean, there's like so I just like 
unleashed a whole world <laughs> by saying the word tranny. And some people are very, very confronted by that word. And that word has been very harmful to people. And there's other people like Kate Bornstein who is trans and embraces that word and loves that word. So I think it's important to say that there has is a lot of tension around that word. And for a lot of people, that word is really harmful and really painful. And, but the concept of, of chaser is like, you're, it's like an exotification of, right? So it's like, I'm actually just interested in you because of this. And I'm kind of like exotifying you the same way that people of color have been exotified or mm. the same way that uh, people. So it's any, like a fetish. It's a fetish. Right. It's like a yellow fever thing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I totally get it. <laughs> and so that, that's like an interesting concept versus like, I am genuinely attracted to all beings and I, or, or, you know, like to me, it's like interesting. It's like, Actually, if you're attracted to men, it makes sense that you're attracted to trans men because they're men, mm-hmm. right? So it's not like, it's like, it's intriguing that it's like a revelation because it's like, well, actually, of course you're attracted to them because you're attracted right. to mm-hmm. men. Mm-hmm. So I think it's different if you were like, wow, I noticed that I'm attracted to non-binary people or genderqueer people because that does expand your sexuality a bit, mm-hmm. right? Because people, it, like in my category, I do think that that would be an, ex- if you were like, I'm really attracted to Ariel, I think that there would be like an expansion of your sexuality because... Mm-hmm. I identify, yes, as both gay, but also mm. as non-binary and fluid. Sure. And so sure. yeah. there's, like, an element to it. But I'm always intrigued when, like, gay men are like, I'm so surprised that I was attracted to a trans man. I'm like, I'm not surprised that you feel that way. Like, that's just another guy. Of course you're attracted right. to him. So I where mean, do they well, go? Where well, do they I go think, to meet them? I think, yeah. well, I think, I think part of it, I, in and it's, it's hard because... In the gay community, there is such a fixation on the penis, the penis being the Mm. source of your sexual energy and power. And so lacking that, it's a little bit of mental gymnastics to um, recognize that here's this really hot, sexy man in front of you and, oh, he has a vagina. Mm. And what is, you know, obviously it doesn't mean anything other than you just have to get your mind around the fact that this person that you're attracted to doesn't have a penis. And that's a very strange thing for you if you're a gay man. You're not used to seeing a vagina and attached to an attractive man that you want to fuck. Yeah. And that's really the the only revelation, right? Yeah. Yeah, and I think, what I think... It would be great is for people to get to go to more workshops on sexuality or sex in general because the other thing that is interesting right is if say you're only used to one body part you might literally be like I actually think you're really hot and sexy and I actually might feel like I don't know what I'm doing right and so I think there's kind of a lot of empowerment to go to a workshop where you're like hey I'm gonna go to a workshop about pleasing trans men or I'm gonna go to a workshop Mm. on pleasing trans women or I'm gonna go to a workshop that is around exploring squirting or I'm going to go to a workshop around, you know, vaginal fisting because that might be something my partner wants, right? Or just to, to get write out all there. these down. Right? And if you're vaginal like, okay, fisting. where do I, you know, it it is interesting because it's like a lot of these workshops happen in the, in the Bay Area, but what's nice is like the platform O School is kind of amazing in the sense that it's a, a platform that you can do from your own house. So if you're afraid to go to a workshop, mm-hmm. you can actually just like get online and have that experience. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of amazing sex educators, sexual liberation collective. All of us are doing this kind of work and these kinds of workshops right. throughout the country. Um, so I do these kinds of workshops. I have a lot of friends that do these kinds of workshops. So also gender blenders is a great place to, to get your sex education. We also do safer sex play parties. So that's a great place to come and meet people in our community and, and, get more of this kind of experience and education. I think this has been really educational for all of us. And here's a statistic I haven't checked. I haven't fact-checked this, but I've heard this multiple times. All right, Kellyanne, do it. 
<laughs> That's me. Um, one in fifteen hundred babies are born with both parts, and it's most of the time up to the doctor to choose which part to keep. So it's not not even the say of the family. There's you should all look at this amazing video called Intersexy, or you know Google on YouTube what it's like to be intersex. And an intersex person is, it's a term that's used for a variety of conditions in which a person is born with a reproductive or sexual anatomy that doesn't seem to fit the typical definitions of male or female. Mm. So it's not actually born with both parts. Mm. Like I think a lot of people have this image of like, you have both a vagina and a penis, but it's not exactly like that. There is a major issue right now of um, non-consensual surgeries that happen at birth. And so, and also people not telling mm. the, the young person that they are intersex. And the word before this was hermaphrodite. Yeah, or hermaphroditic. yeah. But, no, but that's not a that's word not that's the word used that we use anymore. anymore. Got mm-hmm. it. Intersex. Okay, good to know. We're, see, we're learning so much. But here's something from um, a lot of our listeners who wrote in because we we talked about this wanting to do this episode. And we've actually had a lot of people say, you know, I feel like I'm walking on eggshells these days. I feel like I'm I'm offending someone no matter what I say. What are some ways that people can get over that fear of like, I feel like I'm, I'm just being offensive, whatever I say. And then why do you think they're saying that? I think people have a lot of fear. And I think that there's ways that you can, instead of calling someone out, you can lovingly call them in. But part of that involves trust, right? So if you're in my community and I trust you and I know you and you say something that's transphobic or homophobic or racist, I can sit down with you and talk to you about that and explain it to you. And then it's not like I'm calling you out or pushing you out. I'm actually calling you in and bringing you closer. I think it's a lot harder if you hear somebody on the street or if you're sitting in a restaurant and the table next to you is saying misogynistic comments, it's a little bit hard to call them in because they're not actually in your community. Mm -hmm. So I actually do think in in those circumstances, you are literally calling that person out and you're saying what you're doing is not okay. And you're creating a society and a culture that says those comments are not okay. And the reason those comments are not okay is because – while that is um, verbal assault, it can lead to physical assault, right? So when mm. people say, what about what's happening with all the sexual harassment that's going on? That sexual harassment leads to a culture that allows for rape to happen. It leads to a culture where rapists go without any punishment, where it's like, known rapists are like getting you know one month of jail time or community Mm -hmm. service and we see that in the news time and time again so we have a culture that allows for all these things so i actually think it is really important when we hear comments misogynistic comments sexist comments transphobic comments homophobic comments racist comments that we we do actually say something that Mm -hmm. we don't sit quietly by i mean what would have happened when, when we think about that incident of trump on the bus what would have happened if he had gotten called out right there what would have happened if it was like that's not okay we don't talk like that right I also think it's important to mention intent here. So if people are walking on eggshells, if people feel like they're walking on eggshells, um, at least around me, you know, I would rather someone um, just say, you know, this is a silly question, but Mm -hmm. like maybe, you know, I don't really know how to address you or I don't really know like what is like, you know, I'm not familiar with this world Mm -hmm. Um, because I feel like if, if people... If people feel like they're walking on eggshells, it means that, one, they want to be respectful, and two, maybe they're willing to learn, and yeah. all they have to do is just, like, yes, yeah. put it out there and just be like, look, I this isn't my world, I'm not familiar with this, sit down with me, or mm-hmm. just, like, how should I address you, or, you know, what is being gay like, or something, you know, yeah. some kind of something like that. I wouldn't be offended, because I think the, in- the intention is huge. Yeah. There are friends of mine who will call me a faggot, and it's completely playful, 
And then it, there's someone on the street who says it to you, and it's the same word, obviously, but the intent is to use it as a weapon. Yeah, the intent Weaponizing is words. Mm-hmm. If your intent is not to weaponize something, even if, you're, even if your only familiarity with the trans community is using the word tranny, which is so loaded and has all these problems with it, if you are using it and you say it to someone and you it's not meant to be hurtful and it's accidental and you can use it yeah. as you can somehow edge your way in and use it as a conversation starter so that you can maybe learn from that mm-hmm. i think that would be much you it would be received much better than you'd be than you would expect that is a great way to wrap up this episode. If people want to be more educated, where can they find you, Ariel? What, how can they reach you directly? Great. So some great ways to reach me are my website, Gender Illumination, I-L-L-U-M-I-N-A-T-I-O-N, genderillumination.com. You could also reach me at genderblenders.org or the sexualliberationcollective.com. Fab. Awesome. And Aaron, where can people reach you? You can find me on Instagram at AaronAndre.com. <laughs> you can find me in all my heels yeah, on can, my you Instagram. Can, you can follow me wherever you want. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks Thank again, this guys. So, this was great. I yeah, think it definitely... Really great episode. It's great to just learn more. So Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This was so awesome and wonderful to talk with you all. And listeners at home, you heard you heard it here. You can contact Ariel or Aaron directly. Well, maybe not Aaron, but you can just stalk him <laughs> passively from afar. You, you can send me Instagram messages. If, if anyone has further questions, they can send them to us and yeah. we can pass them on as well. Stay, Stay dateable! <laughs> Your action item for this week is to practice mindfulness. And one way to do that is to unlearn what you've always known as a norm. In psychology, they often talk about changing your perspective through changing your vocabulary. So start with calling a banana an apple. It'll help you stop you in your tracks and question why you've always called it banana. This episode is brought to you by Making Ways. Making Ways is a podcast that shares the unexpected paths to creative careers. Just like we hear stories about people's journey to finding love, Making Ways shares people's journey to finding a career they love. You can find the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, and all major podcast apps, or visit makingways.co to learn more. All week, we're having an Instagram contest. Follow us on Instagram at Dateable Podcast, and for each friend you tag in the post, it'll count as an entry into the contest. And the prize? Two tickets for you and a friend to see Fuck Tinder, a love story, which will be at Piano Fight in San Francisco on Wednesday, March 14th. We saw the show back in February and highly recommend it. So looking forward to giving you and a friend some tickets so you can experience it for yourselves. And of course, you can just go buy tickets at F dash tinder.com for this show or any of the upcoming shows as well if you didn't know already we have a revamped website with articles videos and content all about modern dating you can also find our premium y series where we dissect analyze and offer solutions to some of the most common dating conundrums we've had some great feedback about how actionable these episodes are so check them out on our website or itunes music Also, visit the site today to see the latest about coaching, where we connect you with dateable approved experts to help with everything from dating profile reviews, coaching, and even gathering real feedback about your dating style in a personalized and affordable way. To connect with us, visit datablepodcast.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all under Datable Podcast. 
Don't forget to subscribe and auto-download the podcast on iTunes or your favorite podcast player so you never miss an episode.